Rashawn Ali, everybody's homegirl, everybody's favorite soror, the cool soror, representing the ATL and the east side of Decatur. What's happening? Five, four, three, two. Okay, here we go. It's the Cool Soror Podcast, hosted by me, Rashawn Ali. <laughs> Hey, 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 welcome to another edition of the Cool Soar Podcast Show. I'm going to give them both names. That's right. I am your host, Rashawn Ali, and we get the opportunity to explore stories from women and men and black Greek letter organizations. And I've known this young lady for quite some time. She has just been a light. Her smile is so invigorating. Her beauty. Baby, this baby been fine since the day I met her. Okay? Okay? Oh. And she is my sort of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Please welcome to the show, Judge Tierney Gundy. Hello. Hey, Soror. Hi. Hi Look girl. at that smile. What I told you. What? Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. How you doing, friend? I am great. Good. I am great. I'm so happy to be here with you. Yes. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I mean, we have been at this a long, long time. Long time. A very long time. We have. Where did we meet? A I don't even know. We have so many mutual friends and sorors that, you know, have kind of connected us. I think that we us. have all of these connections, 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 but I'm pretty sure Ryan Cameron did it. Ryan Cameron, of course. He's, he's on this season of the show. Yes. So I'm sure it probably was him. Yep. So connected us together and then realizing that we obviously were sorors and then we had this connection because Clark Atlanta University was where you became a member of AKA. Yes. And you know we are saying. And we are saying. Yes. 95. <laughs> Spring. Spring 95. Sweet apple pie. Sweet apple pie and sweet debate <laughs> out for chapter. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much again for, for being here. Um, you know, you've got such a beautifully complicated story. Thank and so you. when people look at your face and see all of this beauty resonating from who you are, they don't know what you don't look like what you've been through. And I know we hear that statement a lot. And I want to go all the way back to, to Jacksonville, Florida. You are the, the new author of a book called The Daughter of a Junkie, a true love story. The juxtaposition of the whole title yeah. is something, obviously, to be talked about. And you could have done the Tyranny Gundy story or how I overcame my past or anything like that. Why did you name it The Daughter of a Junkie, a true love story? Because that's what I've referred to, referred myself as the my entire life. Really? Yeah, because um, my father smoked crack cocaine since 1978. I know. 78? 78. When it wasn't even, I don't even think people had named it. Yeah. Anything. No, my father is adamant that nobody knew about crack cocaine until Richard Pryor set himself on fire. <sighs> That's how it got to mainstream. But um, my sister and I, we just, we're from Duval, the north side, the worst part, the poorest zip code in the state of Florida. Yeah, 32209. And so where I'm from, People try to use a lot of things against you, a lot of stigmas, um, a lot of judgment in our community, and we just refuse to let people do that to us. Yeah. So we literally, as kids, used to say, I'm tyranny, I'm the daughter of a junkie, or I'm the daughter of a J. So it, you would meet me, and I would immediately say that because our position was to take it from you. We were going to own our own story, and we were not going to allow you to make us ashamed. Mm -hmm of our life or our father. Yeah. You say a true love story because the love wasn't lost. Your no. father had a disease, addiction. He still has a disease. Still. Yeah. Yeah. He's 71. He still smokes to this day. I am actually trying to get him in rehab as we speak. How many times have you tried? Oh, my gosh. I wish I could remember. I wish I could count the number of Narcotics Anonymous meetings we've been to or the number of detox facilities he's been through it's impossible to know to be honest yeah yeah when you decided to write this book first of all why why was it important for you to write this book and tell this story why was it because you could have easily kept it to yourself written a blog or just say yeah I'm, I'm tyranny the daughter of a junkie and then and left it there what was the importance of this story and how do you think it will change people's lives um for me it has always been about eradicating the shame and stigma attached to addicts and their families. Because now, as you have stated, 
people look at it as a disease. In the 80s, they did not. Mm -hmm. Again, they judged us. There was a stigma, not just on my father, but on us. And so I have always been very passionate about eradicating that. But also, um, I just felt like it was really time for me to tell my story, because to the point that you made, I don't come in a packaging that people look at and think that this is my story. Right. And so what I have been allowing people to do is tell my story and leave it out there, even though it was the furthest thing from the truth. So combined with me wanting to tell my own story for the sake of my children, but also just furthering the life mission that I've always had of eradicating the shame and stigma associated with addicts and their families. So what was it like growing up? being the daughter of a junkie. Obviously, you, you, you created your own narrative by saying, before you can even tell me who I am, I'm telling you who I am. But how did it shape, me, shape you? Because we were talking earlier about like some decisions that certain NBA players are making and videos and guns and all these types of things, but it all mm -hmm. still comes down to choices because you could have taken what you saw and done completely something completely differently with your life. How did living with that shape you? Um, so here's the truth. It's like when people tell you they're poor and they don't know they're poor. I didn't know that there was something wrong or that there was really a different life because I go back to the true love story part. So every minute of every hour of every day, I have never doubted if I was loved mm. by my mother or father. And so when you are loved in abundance, the chaos, the trauma really kind of falls short because, again, I'm a child. You do not know that this is not normal. This is not abnormal. And if I'm being totally honest with you, there were some things that I didn't realize were so asinine until I started writing, thinking about my children having to step in my shoes. Mm. So I'm a full-grown adult not realizing, like, the real damage that could have been done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I won't pretend like I lived a rosy life. I didn't. But I lived a life that um, I felt like was training for the life ahead of me. Yeah. So, again, at eight years old, nine years old, I'm negotiating my father's life with drug dealers out of a crack house because I need him to go to work. I need for him to pay our bills because the four of us, I call us the core four, the biggest thing for us was to stay together. And so if my father does not come out of that crack house and go to work, then we are going to be evicted again. And then my sister and I are going to possibly go into the system. Mm -hmm. And that was our greatest fear, being torn apart. My fear was not that my father was an addict or that he was going to do drugs. My fear was that my family would be torn apart. Yeah. Have you spoken with him in depth about the beginning of the addiction? Have you ever talked to him about, like, what? Because no one ever talks about that moment that drives you to that. Was it something that was recreational and then moved into something and, and things happened and, you know, the sadness of that drove me to do that? Have you ever spoke to him in depth about why it even started? Actually, I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I've always known as long as I can remember. Like people say, when did you realize that your dad was on crack? I can't remember him not being. Wow. Yeah. So we had a very um, open and honest relationship. Again, the core four, it was us against the world, us against everybody. And my mother and father, they were young parents. So I believe my dad was 20. 22. My mom was 20 when I was born. Mm -hmm. So they were growing up with kids. My father worked a full-time job at Publix. He had his own business that he opened, had a beautiful wife and two brand new kids. Beautiful, by the way. Yes, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And my father's very good looking. Yeah, I mean, I listen. <laughs> Every time I see your face, I'm like, girl, I mean, goodness. Say it again. <laughs> this girl, I mean, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And 
But that's not it. That's not what drove him. It was, honestly, um, old man Johnny at the corner store down the street from my grandmother's house in the back. And he actually offered my father. They call it, My father says free basin. Mm-hmm. So he was like, you want a free base? You want to hit this? And my father told me that he knew immediately that this drug was going to decimate our communities because he was immediately addicted. addicted. And here's a funny story. My aunt, also who has been clean for 35 years, almost 35 years, also became addicted to crack cocaine. So my grandmother was dealing with two of her children at the same time. Both of them addicted. Addicted. But it is honestly... Probably, according to my father, I don't know. I've never done any drugs, including smoke weed. Right. Just because. You're such a good girl. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're so good. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say I'm that good because I'm from Duval. Right. <laughs> Duval. Duval. Yes. Oh, you went to fam. I went to you fam. already it, know. I know what it is. <laughs> I got lines from Duval. What's up, Vicky? <laughs> hey, Vicky. Yes. Yes. But no, um, so I can't tell you because I, I am my father's child mm-hmm. through and through. I was just blessed enough to take the good from him and stay away from the bad. I've always believed that I had an addictive gene. So I always felt like if I ever touched anything, I would be just like him because I am his child. You yeah. know what I mean? I am definitely. And so that's the impetus why you like. We're like, hey, Tyranny, we're going to have some champagne tonight. You're like, I don't drink. No. And sometimes I have a drink imposter mm-hmm. to make you all feel comfortable. Right. <laughs> like a little, fi- a little for fizzy reason, water. For some reason, people feel more. They feel better mm-hmm. when, you know, they think everybody is drinking. Right. Um, but no, that's not my thing. That doesn't mean I'm not going to have a good time. Or that I won't, you know what I mean, enjoy myself. And, I, and I'm and i not judging you. Again, right. this is based on my personal story that I can't explain to you in the club when everybody right. is, is drinking and having a good time. Yeah. 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 And I come from a partying family. So, I mean, my I may be the only one, especially growing up, my sister and I might be the only ones who did not really party in that sense. So I come from a family of partiers, of people who have a good time. Wow. And but, you decided, when did you make that decision? Was it was something that you decided at a young age, like, I'm never going to drink or smoke or do anything because I don't want to end up, although I love this man, addicted to any type of substance. What, 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 what year of your life or what age did that happen? I can't ever not remembering. See, here's what I have. I have amazing parents, and I'm from a generation who listened to their parents. Mm-hmm. So my mom and dad were adamant about, you do as I say, not as I do. And my sister and I did as they said. Mm-hmm. So when they told us never to do drugs, I didn't. Hey, my mama said that. It didn't work out. It didn't work out for me. It's fine. I'm fine. I was just, just a little. You're fine, plants. but you also didn't have the same life circumstances as I did. Right, absolutely. Um, I was just talking with a family member about this. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not a bad thing. You had the luxuries of not having to have that conversation. You had the luxury of curiosity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You had the luxury of trying things to see if you liked them or didn't like them. I did not have that luxury. That would have led me to probably never making it out of Duval. Yeah. And that was never going to be an option for me because I was going to get my sister and I out Out of of the ghetto. That was a goal. It was a life mission. It was my purpose. Have you talked to people about who your father was prior? I mean, he's still the same man because you see the love and you see the leadership skills. and If my father walked in this door right now, you would have no idea. He's a function. He he functions well. Okay, let's stop (laughs) again. I know people like to use that term. I don't use it. My father doesn't use it. He's not functioning. He's either functioning as a father and a man, or he's not functioning as a junkie. He's never doing both. Ah. Break that down. Again, 
So a lot of people like say, oh, he's a functioning actor. No, he does not function when he is getting high. Got it. So that's unfair to say functional anything. We, in my family, we do not adhere to that. Because of how you grew up, is your heart different when you're judging cases or when you're in the courtroom, even as a lawyer and now as a judge, is your heart a little bit different because of what you experienced? Or I know you have to follow the law. Absolutely. But your heart, because of what you've experienced, is it, is it, does it give you a little bit more compassion and empathy? I would say that more so than compassion, it gives me to the ability to understand when somebody really wants help. Mm. Because my father has been an addict since 1978. So I know when you say, no, I would like help today. And when you're being sincere or when you're saying, I would like help today because you're trying to game the system. Mm -hmm. And it makes me dig further to make sure that you are being honest with yourself and with us. So, again, my father is amazing at being a father. But make no mistake about it. He's amazing at being a junkie, too. Wow. Yeah. And so they're just traits that come with that that include dishonesty. Yeah. And creativity is a nice way to say it. I mean, you haven't met somebody more creative than a junkie. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they have some stories. stories. Right. And then, and, you, and sometimes you know. But then sometimes you so like, yeah, you're like, oh, my God, wait, say it again. And baby, they repeat it exactly. It's hard to catch them because they have the tool of creativity. What do you want people to gain from this book and this story? Because this is bigger than just a book. I know how I you agree. think. We don't sit down and talk every day and not in depth. We have a lot of social connections. Mm -hmm. But if I know, if I have any inkling on the way you think, this is just the beginning of this, of this story. So there are things that, again, this is a progression, if I'm being honest with you. Um, yes. I repeat it over and over. The, the stigma and shame associated with junkies and addicts and their families, I have a real problem with because it is a disease. And I feel like that alcoholics are treated differently, differently. than addicts with drug substance abuses. Mm. But now, I will commend parts of culture and society for acknowledging that it is a disease that we need to help people with. So, of course, that is leading. But the reason the book is named A True Love Story is because, again, I'm from the ghetto. I'm from a dysfunctional family that had a lot of chaotic things going on. And for some reason, I'm judged for that as well. Mm -mm. So what I would love for people to understand is, my family's no different than yours. We have an abundance of love. I have an abundance of care and concern. If I do not make it home in the poorest zip code in Florida, there's a lot of people looking for me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be from a rich neighborhood or be of a certain status to be cared about. I am human, and I should be acknowledged for so. And I just feel like there's so many people from my community who are overlooked. And we're really good, amazing people. people. Yeah. Yeah, my family, again, don't have a lot of resources. But I put their love against anybody's mm -hmm. on planet Earth. What led you to Atlanta? Like, cause, because, because of what you had endured at such a young age... 
you could have easily stayed there or, or gone to a school in Florida, FAMU. But you I'm said, supposed to go to FAMU. You, right. No, you're supposed to go to Clark. That's where you went. No, but, according to my father. Oh, okay. Oh. He wanted you to go. He wanted you to be a rattler. He did. We could have been lying, sisters. would have been. I know it. I know it. I would have loved it. Um, but what led you to Clark Atlanta University? Like, you, you excelled academically. So you placed a lot of probably what could have been traumatically, uh, what could have traumatically impacted you in a negative way. You made it to Atlanta and said, no, I'm about to do this. The first college graduate in your family. On both sides. On both sides. On both sides. Both sides. Um, and again, you know, they say make a plan and watch God laugh. It, it, it wasn't me. One, I ended up in Atlanta initially. I went to Camp Creek Middle School. My really? mom yeah. left my dad in the middle of the night. We left on a Greyhound bus with our things in black trash bags. Whoa. Yes. And I cut the fool the entire time, screaming, hollering, crying, because my father was at his lowest point probably, I guess, in their marriage, and she had decided that that was not the environment for her children anymore. And she brought us to Atlanta. But the only thing I could think about was my father was going to come home to a cold, empty house without his girls, mm. and we were going to break him permanently, and I couldn't live with that. Well, my mother being my mother... <laughs> snatched my little behind, put me on a bus, and brought me to Atlanta. Now, I'm going to tell you, you've had the luxury of being in Atlanta in your entire life. Yes. As a little girl from Duval coming to Atlanta, living with my aunt and her husband, who was a lawyer, he was a partner at Thomas um, Kennedy which is the oldest black firm, law firm in the state of Georgia. And at this time, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer because the police came to my house when I was seven years old looking for my father, and he said he needed a lawyer. I mm. didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be able to help my daddy. Mm. Your daddy's girl. 100%. Yes. So are you. So I, am I, I. I know a little 100%. bit about you. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we love our mothers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we do. We, we do. have to say that because they get a little upset with they us. Do. And you know what? Because I also vehemently said that my entire life, both of my girls are daddy's girls. I'm just by myself, <laughs> just hanging out, waiting for people to come on and love me. It's fine. Everything's fine, guys. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> well, I did have a son. Right, right. <laughs> Man, I tell you, you have been loved till you've been loved by son. Man, I don't know I, nothing. I mean, my, dog, my dog is a boy. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I got. But, yeah. But coming to Atlanta and just seeing professional black people, yeah. I, I, I'd never seen this in my life, my entire life, except the AKs at the AK house in Duval, mm -hmm. which is why I decided to become an AK. I didn't even know it was a sorority. I didn't know you had to be in college. I didn't know any of this. It was just that I always saw these ladies in pink and green. They had Volvos and Mercedes and nice cars, and they always had on beautiful suits, and they walked into a house that had an elevator. Oh, wow. As a child, I was like... Influence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that is how my first impression of Atlanta it was the first time I ever felt comfortable in my skin. Ooh. It was the first time that I met black people who I felt like I had a kinship with. It was almost like I had found my tribe. Even though I'm from a community of nothing but black people, I never fit in. And I was constantly out of place. And I was constantly told that I couldn't be the things that I articulated that I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And believed in. Other and, and, than by my family. Right. And so fast forward, um, my father, I told him I was going to UGA. I got a scholarship to UGA. He told me that every governor at the time. Was it Zell Miller then? The governor of Georgia? Yes. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. But every governor mm -hmm. for the history of the state that went to the University of oh, Georgia. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. And I had planned to go to law school there also. 
So my dad had put this in my head. Like, if you're not going to FAM, you should go to UGA because every governor in the state of Georgia has gone to UGA, which means you're going to be able to find a job when you graduate. Mm -hmm. I was going to UGA. I went to visit Clark Atlanta a month before graduation just to get out of school. Because it was our senior year. It's the end. Yeah. We're done. What high school were you? What high school? I went to Tiff County High oh, in you were South in... Georgia. Oh, I know exactly because you turned right over there to make a right to go to Tallahassee. Yes. yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I went to visit just really to hang out. Like, I mean, my life had been planned out. So this is a month before graduation. I visit Clark Atlanta. I've never even heard of Clark Atlanta in my life. Mm. I went, and it was just like when I came here in the sixth grade. I was like, I've never felt this good in my skin in my entire life. I mean, like, every part of my body, every sensory in my body was, like, on fire. At Clark, on that campus. On that campus. I mean, it was literally like I felt like our ancestors were coming from the ground, like, just pulling me, rooting me there. Wow. And I came home, and I told my mom and dad, I have to go to Clark Atlanta or I'm going to fail. Well, they're looking at me like, you've never failed at anything. Stop being dramatic. <laughs> and my dad said, if that's where you want to go, we'll figure it out. So I had a lot of smaller scholarships that I was going to put towards it. But I was $3,000 short. Mm -hmm. My daddy told me he would get the money. And I mean, $3,000 may sound like not a lot of money to y'all. But when I was going to school, especially for my family, I might as well have said I needed 300000 Right. It's a lot of money. My father said, don't worry about it. I want you to be happy. I will get the money. Now, this is the junkie, the addict, that has been smoking since 1978. But found the money to get you to go to Clark, Atlanta University. Always found the That's money. That's why it's a love story. That's why it's a love story. Because that man shows up for me. When I need him, always. Now he might show up high, <laughs> but he's gonna be there. Wow! When you told him you were writing this book, did you get his permission first? Absolutely not. He didn't raise me to get his permission. Ooh, yeah, no. Ooh. My, <laughs> my father didn't raise me to ask for permission for anybody to be myself. I love it. No, I did not. I wrote the first hundred pages, and I told him. I'm writing a book. It's called The Daughter of a Junkie, A True Love Story. He said, oh, I'm the star of the book. Wow. <laughs> that was his reaction. That's his reaction. Do you look like your dad? I do. I have his cheekbones. What about them eyes? Only one in the family. DNA. It must have been from somebody way long down. You heard me say way long? Yeah, all the way to <laughs> Scandinavian. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm like 30% Scandinavian. According to DA, what is it called? Uh, DNA Ancestry.com, something go. like that. Yeah. 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 But there's no one in my family that any of us can point to that. No. Have that. No. Yeah. So when you were, I, I want to go back to when you were with the uncle in middle school. How long did you all stay there before y'all went back to be, because you, you went to school, you went to high school in Tiff County in South Georgia. Did your dad move back, move to South Georgia, or like? Tell My me parents about got divorced. Okay, we moved to um, some apartments off of Herschel Road. Wow. Yeah. That. <laughs> ah, wow. All right. Yes. Okay. Got <laughs> it. No worries. Those. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my mother and father got a divorce, and again, the junkie. Moved in those same apartments because my mom found another man, a nice Bahamian man who was really good to her and to us. Mm. Um, but my father moved in the same apartments with us because he said he would not be that far from his girls and we needed him right now. And so in the sixth grade, he moved to Atlanta and lived right up the hill from us. And um, that went on for a couple years. Again, he spirals. But for some reason, he can put himself together, and then he spirals. Um, and my mom decided that she, she's originally from Tifton. She decided she was going to move back home, which was a nightmare for me. Really? In, in terms of what? Um, the overt racism. Okay. I have never encountered, even though I'm from Duval, and I've seen racism, I had never encountered anything that kind. in my life. And again, remember, I'm hopelessly in love with Atlanta. 
So I'm like, what are you doing? Are you trying to ruin me? Do you hate me? But once again, my mom is just trying to do the best that she can. What she knew. What she knew. She's dealing with, you know, my father who is spiraling, shows up, and it's great when he shows up, but when he's not there, it falls all on her. But we moved to Tifton, and my father then goes back to Duval, to Jacksonville. And um, so I'm in Tifton from 10th through 12th grade, or 9th through 12th grade, mm-hmm. because a uh, white woman, my English teacher, slapped me in the 9th grade in the middle of class. What? Slapped you? Yeah. For so asking what? for makeup work. She slapped you. So what happened? Nothing? <laughs> what happened after that? Um, so <laughs> what happened is my Shiro showed up and threatened her life. There we go. Because, again, I'm from Duval. And I'm going to be honest. I was not that refined. <laughs> 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 At that age. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But what I was was concerned about my future. And I have no idea how I knew or had the wherewithal in that moment to say, if you react to this woman, you'll never make it. Mm. But I wouldn't have. Like, I'd I'd have been done. Yeah. So I immediately ran and called my mom on a payphone. I didn't even go to the office. My mom showed up seven minutes flat. And we had to live about 25 minutes away from the school. I have no idea how, how she, she got, got there. That That's that black mama magic, boy. Black mama, mama magic. magic. I call it black mama crazy. You ain't met crazy until you met a black mama crazy about her child. The, my mom came in that school, I mean, literally screaming down the hallways searching for this lady. The administrators behind her trying to calm her down, saying they're going to call the police. She like, call the police, please, because I'm about to go to jail. Be clear. Finally, the lady came out. Um, My mom berated her. And I sat there just as pleased and content because even though there was no physical altercation, I felt vindicated. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my mom, I felt like I didn't have to do anything. My mom had done everything I needed to hold my head up and to say, I know you mad you did this. Like, I know you regret doing that. You should have picked somebody else. Right. No, they picked the right person so she you shouldn't have, together. You shouldn't have picked little Linda's child. Right. But they were not used to someone like me and Tifton. They were not used to... Um, someone fighting the system or not going along to get along. But nothing happened, truly, because I was in her class. I went back to her class. I wasn't <gasps> removed. She wasn't suspended. Of course not. N- nothing happened to her. But what I will say, my sister had her because she was the only honors teacher, which we had to fight for even that. But she was sweet as pie to my sister. My sister had to deal with none of that. And at my sister's high school graduation, she apologized to me. How did you receive that? Um, I was in. I had graduated from college by then. You know what I mean? Like, so my future was done. Like, my I was not a lawyer yet. But honestly, once I got my hardest part in life was getting to college. When I walked on the campus of Clark Atlanta University as a freshman. I knew nobody would stop me. My hardest thing was getting out of Duval. So when I met this woman, I was gracious because it was like, bless your heart. Yeah, you don't even know. Baby, I'm fine, but thank you. I appreciate you acknowledging that. But I've given you absolutely no thought because you matter not at all in my life. But I appreciate you saying that you've thought about me over she, the I wonder if she looked you up later on, like, to see how great you are. What she knew my story then, again, because we're at my sister's high school graduation. Yeah. I'm on my way to law school. 
I'm talking about since then. She probably Googled you. She's probably not on this earth anymore. Oh, okay. Well, God <laughs> rest her soul. God rest her soul. Miss Lady. Me Lady. Touch and tearity. You see that pretty face you touch? Dig up for the grave. I'm just yes. That's not nice. That's not nice. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so fast forward. Law school, I mean, and you do it. Like, you work for different corporations, different law firms, and then you become a judge. And, like, are you in your, like, you you doing what you love, like being on the bench? I am. I've wanted this job since I was nine years old. Mm. So, again, everything about me is centered around my family and my community. I decided to become a judge, I mean, a lawyer at seven, and then a judge at nine. Again, not realizing that they're connected or related at all when I'm an adolescent. But again, as I say, make a plan and God laughs. Because he had already ordered my steps. One of my neighbors, who was my friend, he had a disability. He was challenged. Probably had the capacity of a seven or eight-year-old. And he was around 18 or 19 years old. They arrested him for something that I knew he was not capable of doing. Mm. He never came back, never wow. came home. And when I asked my dad when he was coming at nine years old, when is he coming back home? My dad said he's never coming home. And I'm like, what? And he said he never had a fair shot because the judge didn't look like us. And so that just... In that moment, I decided that I was going to become a judge Again, to your point, to follow the law, not to be unfair or to give favors, but just to make sure that people from my community had a fair shot. Dang. So, yes, to answer your question, and I've been through a lot professionally. Again, it was all worth it. Every single bit of it, because I absolutely love my job. And I love helping my community. Is there ever a point in your career where you thought you couldn't make it? I mean, you're a very strong woman, and all I've ever known for you to do is continue to make it happen and pursue and win. But you got, there has to be a moment, or maybe not, that you were like, how am I going to make it through this? Something that you can actually say, I, I overcame that or a moment. I mean, if you don't have to say what it was, pinpoint it was, but has there ever been a moment like that for you? There hasn't. No. Again, I told you that my childhood was training. And when you look at life in a way of did you die or live? Mm-hmm. You're still here. It's really, really hard. Like, I live a full life of gratitude. Every day that I'm here, I feel like I'm borrowed and I'm paying a debt that I cannot repay. Because nobody where I'm from is doing what I'm doing, is living the life that I'm living, is given these opportunities. And it was on the shoulders of so many people. I mean, do you know how many people had to sacrifice for me to go to college? how many people had to sacrifice for me to become a lawyer. And I'm not just talking about my family. I'm talking about my community who would not let people bother me because they were like, that little girl is going somewhere. Leave her alone. So I was protected and shielded. So it's really hard for me to feel sorry for myself. Mm And it's really hard for me to give up. Like, again, I told you the story of negotiating my father out of a crack house. Let's be real. When you've done that at eight and nine years old, there's nothing that you're afraid of. Yeah. There's nothing that weighs on you like losing your life or losing your loved one or your parent. Just the thought of that. So it's really hard. I will say that I have bad days sometimes, and I had a bad day when I was dealing with some professional issues that I felt like I was targeted Mm -hmm. unfairly, Mm -hmm. and I was just really angry. 
because I know my story and I know what it took and I know who I am. And I was very, very angry this day. And so my children could see it. They could sense it. And they told me that I didn't need to be upset or angry. And they told me that it had to be me because nobody else was strong enough to endure it. And only I would help make sure that it didn't happen to another black woman. Mm -hmm. And so when you have two children, preteens, telling you this, I'm looking into their eyes thinking, wow. Yeah, from the mouths of babes. Like, so, again, it made it really impossible for me to feel sorry for myself. What's your, yeah, what's your vice? You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't... I swear! You swear? I've been trying, I've been holding it in! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've been swearing since I was five! Right! And I mean, I swear, swear. You You be cursing judge! Baby, you curse the people out. In a professional way. <laughs> There's no such thing as professional in Duval. Right, right, okay, right. It's, it's get up off me, uh-huh. cursing out. Do you like, ever go back? You're going to have a right. problem. Yeah. I was in Duval Sunday. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and I you, am Duval through and through. Through and through. And I, but again, the same way that I'm proud to be the daughter of a junkie, I'm proud to be from the north side. Mm-hmm. Of Duval because County, again, yeah. yeah. Like, you may look at it as a bad thing, but Never. I keep saying. But I hear what you're saying. N- not you. I get it. Yes, the universal you. But that is what I'm trying to say. Like, there are wonderful, loving people where I am from who help me sit here and be able to do this with you today. Mm-hmm. And I owe them a life of gratitude. A life, life of, of greatness gratitude. in what you live in. Yes. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, wrapping up here, a couple of more questions. Uh, you're a mama bear. You told me that. You like your kids, you talked about them being preteens now they're teenagers and about to like start their own lives in a few years. And you say, I don't know what I'm gonna do when they leave my house. I don't. You, you be all right. <laughs> you're gonna be all right. Look at me talking. I'm just talking like I just like mine ain't two years behind yours. You be all right, Ma. That gets you emotional. Does that get you emotional? It does. Yeah. 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 Your babies. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see in them that you see in yourself? Like, especially me and Michelle probably is most like you, maybe? Your oldest daughter? Your older daughter? They are both like me. Older older child, sorry. Yep. They're both like me. Me and Michelle is... She, she looks like me. You look at her and you think yes. you're looking at a younger version of me. But um, I'm going to say that me and Michelle's resilience and creativity is me. Mm-hmm. And her ability to get things done. So me and Michelle is going to, in the words of Clark Atlanta, find a way or make, make a way. way. I love that. I love yeah. that motto. Um, Kevin... Is his mama's child because absolutely no one will make Kevin do something he, he does not want to do. do. He does not care if a thousand people are doing it. If he does not want to do it, he's not. He's not impressionable in any way. The way we were talking about just people trying things or curious or things like that. Kevin has an opinion that belongs solely to him. And he may or may not share it with you, but he's definitely going to act on his own opinion. But, yeah, I'm very, very proud of them. They are both, they have 4.0s. Come on. Yes. Great. Yes. yes. They're going to go to HBCU. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Me and Michelle is going to be an AKA. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. So, you know, you know what we say, the first Bailey, yes. my goddaughter. yes. She just crossed over. And so I was like telling me, Michelle, oh, my God, I got so emotional. Like, I didn't realize that it was going to hit me this hard. It was such a beautiful ceremony seeing her being pinned as an AKA. And I was like, I just have my fingers crossed. I really hope you decide to be an AKA. She said, I'm like 85% sure. I was like, 
Hey, hey, I'll this take is good. those odds. Because the girls I live with, baby, it's 50-50 right now. It's 50-50 right now. I'm like, I'm going to be have to, look, either your auntie going to be inside or I'm going to be inside. Just let me know what it is. And I just got to be, you know, you just got to be, because they become their own people. They do. They become their they, own people, and you got to love them where they are. They know? become a better version of us. Absolutely. And I love it. Well, speaking of which, you became an AKA in Spring 95, an Alpha Pie chapter. Sweet apple pie. Sweet, I'm so, sorry. Pardon yes. me. Correction. <laughs> Sweet apple my, pie. Um, my, my, big, my big cousin, Marjean Stokes, she pledged in 90 at Alpha Pie. So, yes. Yeah, so I was there when she came out on the yard. I was in the 10th grade. I was like, oh, this is outstanding. <laughs> and my mom's an AK, but you just see pictures in the scrapbook, right? Yes. So I saw that. And she said, I don't want to be. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I love this. So it's fantastic. So. Obviously, you grew up seeing AKs in Duval County, so obviously you chose. I, di I didn't know what they were then. Yeah, I didn't even understand the sorority or the sisterhood or the service but you or saw anything. The example, at least I in the colors the and the example. leadership and how they stood up, how they. I didn't even presented. know there were other sororities. I never. I mean, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I get it. I didn't know until later on because my mom's an AK and my dad is Omega, so those are the two organizations that I knew about and then I learned later I was like oh there's other oh yeah, there's other like, ones oh, okay yeah but we were first yeah a little shade no but that's <laughs> It's 1908. It was facts. Okay. There's no shade. <laughs> These are factual things. It's right. fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. So um, you chose Alpha Kappa Alpha or Alpha Kappa Alpha choose you. Which one? Um, I think that Alpha Kappa Alpha chose me. Like I am a huge believer that the women make the sorority. Yes. And, again, because of what I saw as a child, and I had associated that with success, it made me feel like they chose me. Because in my head... You were already... I was already in a cave. Yeah. I was like, it, it's a part of, like, the checklist of, I'm going to college, I'm going to law school, I'm going to be in a cave. Mm -hmm. You know, and an HBCU... Back when I pledged, you didn't tell anybody that you. Oh yeah, to absolutely, pledge. yeah. Not the rules that have changed. Put it on Instagram, and you know, there's no hazing allowed anymore. Absolutely. And I was never hazed, but <laughs> uh <-huh>. that's right. <laughs> never. None hazed. of us were. It's totally fine. <laughs> yes, but my freshman year, I went around and introduced myself to everyone, to all of the sweet alpha pie sorors. I did. I wrote letters. All summer. Yeah. We, that My was the thing. You year. wrote letters to people that you, you did it. You were like, dear friend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In the and, you read and these... everybody kept telling me, what are you doing? You, you're not even eligible to pledge. Right. And I said to them, I was born in AK. You told them that? Girl, you were setting yourself up for greatness, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> what I was telling them is that Whatever it comes with becoming an AK, I want all the smoke because I'm going to leave here an AK. So whatever it takes to become an AK, sign me up. I can handle it. I'm the daughter of a junkie. You can handle anything. I can handle anything. So if you believe you're going to get between me and greatness, you're not. I don't want to play any games with y'all. I'm going to be an AK. What would you like me to do? in order to convince you. You were bold. Very, and I had a 4.0. So I'm like, and you need me to help bring up these chapter GPA. <laughs> Look at she, you, you were bold, baby. <laughs> I, would, I would have never done that at Beta Alpha, but I'd be like, hello, I'm so, how are you? That's all I <laughs> No, and then our line got canceled. Oh, I was Lord. the only person that didn't quit. Wow. Yeah, because I told them. Whatever happens, I'm going to be on this line. I'm going to be an AKA because it is a part of the plan that God has written for my life. And you, the nationals, the regionals, whoever canceled this line is not going to get in the way. Tyranny Lynette Gundy is going to be a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha. And there you have it, everybody. Judge Tyranny Gundy, the one and only. Thank yes. you so much. How can people find your book, purchase it? And do the book the comes out August 22nd. Oh, you do? Oh, this is real promo. <laughs> You've been on, you, girl, I thought the thing was out. No, 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 no. 
no, no, no. Oh, wow. I told you, you know, I'm new to social media. I've only been out six months. <laughs> welcome, welcome, babe. Welcome. I've been out about, you know, 16 years now. 14 Has on Instagram. No. Me, I've been around that long? Well, oh my I God, started so on Instagram when Carter, my younger baby, was literally in right here. And now she's like You're all of these kidding. things. Oh, yeah. She's like a whole thing. She's about to be 14. I mean, I still have like an iPhone 3. Guys, and with that, thank you so much for joining <laughs> the Cool Sore Podcast. So how can they get the I'm book when it comes out? cool. You very, <laughs> sure you are. How can they get the book? I told you. Oh, it's in August. August 22nd. But you can go to the, T-H-E, daughterofajunkie.com and pre-register. Okay. It will send you a message when the book is released nice. if you would like to purchase it and hear more about my story. Almost everything that I've talked about today is in the book. Yeah, and more, obviously. And in more, more detail and yes. graphic and all of the things that people need to hear and see. But then they see the result of your love story yeah. by being the daughter of a junkie who loves you to no end. To no so, end. Yeah. So we wish him. And I love you. I love and you. thank you for having oh, me here. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. We got deep. We did. Like, yeah. I didn't even expect that. I thought we were going to talk more about our pledging experience. Nah, I mean, that's I got not what caught up about. in the cool sorrow. Yeah. And I... I it's really just, it, honestly, and I think that's what the, the misconception about this show is, is that we're going to be talking about Greek life the whole time. It's not. It's what I wanted to do to have a niche in this podcast world because we know it's a lot of podcasts. So what can I do differently to kind of showcase, um, you know, our stories? But it's a, just a little snippet of that being um, our commonality. But yeah. it's really about you and yeah. your story. And that's what these conversations are about. They're yeah. less about the actual sorority fraternity thing and more about who that person is. And now, because you jumped right in. I got I a little did, emotional I, in the beginning. Like, yeah. I don't know if you could tell, but I was like... I did jump right in. I generally don't do it like that, but it was there. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to lose that opportunity starting a different way. Some other interviews, I start differently, but that's what I felt comfortable with because you're comfortable with it. Yeah, And I if am. I felt some discomfort... And if, that you didn't want to go there so soon, then I would have changed. No but, discomfort at yeah. all. Like it, sometimes it makes me emotional. Yeah. Um, just because the journey and then, again, the love and the pride. And so I never know how it's going to hit me. But I'm never uncomfortable about talking about my story. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a beautiful thing. And you're going to save so many lives. And then, I mean, you got me together with the, the you know, functioning, you know, how people use that word. Um, and, and, and and again, it's just not me. You know what I mean? Like, this right, is and everybody, coming out of the words of my father, who is the attic. He does not believe in that. He's like, there's no, I can't do both. You know what I mean? Either I'm functioning as a man or I'm not functioning at all. It's never together. together right. Yeah, so yeah. We, we just, we don't subscribe to that. Some people may. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing about, like you said, telling our stories. Everybody's story is different. But I hope that somebody listening, watching, will find some part of my story that does help them to continue and to keep going and to be proud of no loving what. themselves right, right. and their family, Yeah, even if they you are save somebody. You're going to save someone's life with this, with this book. You are. I already know it. And that's why you're here. And I'm grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Tierney Gundy, everybody. Can we show her some love? Thank you.